0: Church, grab your Bibles with me and turn to the third letter of John. If you're new or visiting, you'll find 3rd John in the very back of your Bible, just before Jude and Revelation. This is the the letters of John, the pastoral letters that he wrote, not the Gospel of John that we find earlier in the New Testament. It's been such a joy to spend uh, these last 50 sermons through these letters. today's number 50 with just one more to go next week. Um, what a joy it's been to celebrate this time um, of God's work in our lives and His perfect perseverance of His Word and uh, preserving it and, and getting it to us so that we can learn and grow in His good truths. Today, we're going to focus on verse 11 and 12. As John continues in this letter he wrote to his brother in Christ, Gaius, he says in verse 11 and 12, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. God's good word. In the opening part of verse 11 here, we notice that John refers to Gaius again, again, as beloved. He is a true and dear friend to John. Gaius is someone who is deeply loved. And and this is just another reminder for us, church, of the family affection we have for one another in Christ, our blood-bought family. In love for his brother and for the Lord, John now turns to instruct him on conduct that is right for those who belong to God, the first thing is to warn him not to imitate evil. Do not imitate evil. We who belong to Christ do not belong to evil anymore. We belong to God now. For we are from God. We are of God as John refers earlier in his letters. This means we are no longer belonging to the devil, no longer enslaved to our sin. In our former state, prior to our salvation, church, we only knew and practiced evil. God says this about mankind before flooding the earth in Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, that's a global indictment on mankind. And so therefore, we have to do something to break into the way that we are maybe more comfortable with thinking about evil, See, most people likely distance themselves from what is evil. You think evil, you think satanic stuff, you think witchcraft, you think really just horrendous acts. And so there's this distancing that we do. I'm, I'm not an evil person. Here the holy, perfect, all-knowing God's declaration. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart, only evil continually. So what that does is it helps us understand that in our sin, apart from Christ, I don't do or think or say what is righteous. Only evil continually. I want you to really think about that. Think about the length and the width of that statement. Mankind, apart from God's grace, to give us new birth in Christ, acts and imitates only evil continually. Again, for a lot of us, that this doesn't compute. It's it's because we see ourselves or others that we love as better than this, as good, as doing good things all the time. But but this is because we have redefined what good is. We change the terms of what is righteous by removing God as the standard by which all things are measured. We lower the standard so what he clearly says is wicked, evil, sinful, we then want to call good, right, helpful. The thoughts and acts of those outside of Christ are only evil continually. Why? Why? You've you've got to understand why. And it's because... They don't happen in faith. Faith that believes in God, that trusts in God, that does it for God. They're, they're lacking faith. They, they don't, haven't trusted their lives to Christ. They, they're still the Lord of their own lives. They're still trying to make a way to navigate this life and hopefully the next on their own terms and I don't need Christ. I'm not looking to him to help me with this. I'll find my own way. I don't have faith. I don't trust him despite whatever I'm facing. So what that means then is the things that an unbeliever without faith does that seem good on the horizontal. It might even be a real blessing a help to many people a major accomplishment among mankind a great sacrifice is still evil because it's not done in faith unto the glory of God it robs God of what he's rightly due do. it's done with an aim for mankind its target misses the standard therefore it's sinful therefore it's wicked that's how we have to rightly see this and therefore then allow it to adjust our fleshly way of thinking about this their heart is not full of faith in god and so for the reason therefore the reason why they do it is sinful and wicked it falls short of the glory of God. This is what Paul is speaking of in that most famous statement in Romans 3.23. For all, think about who that includes for a second. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means without the grace of God, without the intervention of God, without the faith God gives, the salvation God alone provides to an undeserving sinner, I have no hope. I have no chance. It's everything we just celebrated, testified in the Lord's Supper. As, as Elder Rob led us through that, help us understand it's not by our own doing. It's by nothing we bring to the table. It, it, it's the humble, humble, profession of faith, of what God has done to save Noah in in baptism, the symbolism of what's happened to go under the water, to partner with Christ. Christ dies, Christ rises again. We too rise, the power of Christ, unto new life. This is why we praise God so much for his saving work for so many of our lives to bring us out of enslavement to sin and into his power and love and righteousness. So now, only then in faith in Christ do we live by faith and for his glory. Only then are we empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what is righteous unto the glory of God. Praise God for those whom he saves for we are a new creation. We are born again, scripture says. And yes, we still fight our flesh and we still face temptation to sin but we're no longer enslaved to only sin like we were when we were spiritually dead. So that understanding is of a spiritual reality and it's why you can't just evaluate it on the horizontal based on how you feel or how it looks. There's a spiritual reality that Holy Scripture clarifies and illuminates for us. We're no longer enslaved to evil anymore so therefore we shouldn't choose it We shouldn't choose evil. We shouldn't practice evil. We shouldn't embrace it. We should not imitate it. We shouldn't justify it. So this is John's charge to his beloved brother in Christ. Gaius. beloved, do not imitate evil. He continues in the second part of the verse, whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. This is a common and helpful way scripture teaches us to see That there's evidence on the outside of who, in the end, we really belong to. There's a a tell there. By a person's repeated actions, their practices, what they're given to, reveals who they belong to. There's also a call to flee from what is evil to the church, to the saved that we would not partner with that which is evil. And that's all over scripture. A quick taste of just a couple poignant places where we see this. Romans 12, 9. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil. It's, It's rotten. It's can't even look to it, more not therefore to entertain it, not to come close, but to hold to what is good. 1 Thessalonians five fifteen. see that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Evil's done to you, Christian church, we don't repay with evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And so, therefore, that testimony when the world sees you do good to someone who just did evil to you is shocking to them. Shocking. Because the world's way is evil for evil. You come at me like that, I'm coming back at you. I'm going to hurt you. The gospel testimony in us throws love, throws good over evil to those who perpetuate evil. Because I I don't need to write the scales. I'm complete, I'm satisfied, I'm full in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from every form of evil. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived Bad company ruins good morals. And therein lies the trick sometimes that we are not quite clearly seeing what bad company is. Therefore, we're deceived. Don't be deceived. James one twenty one. therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. We have to understand rightly that filthiness and wickedness is worldliness. Worldliness is what makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. And so there's this tension between you and society and your family and your friends when you are convicted to not watch that show, to not listen to that music, to not participate in that gathering, to not whatever. And they're kind of like, man, that, it just seems uber like righteous of you and so odd. And, and who are you? And sometimes we wanna kind of give in to that pressure But I'm not ruled by it anymore and scripture God is commending me to not participate in it to to flee from it to avoid it to not long for it I, I I don't need to see why that show is so popular I know it's full of wickedness this isn't a trivial thing it's an essential and fundamental part of life that we have to be considering, and constantly aware of, and 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 then living out. To understand that because we're born again in Christ, we're able now, and we want to now, put away what is of the world, what is sinful, filthy, wicked, and to be done with it. To see while it looks great on the facade it's got a big hole in the bottom of the boat it's going to cause me to sink i see it it looks shiny on the outside but it's a facade it's it's wretched it looks like amazing pleasure but it's for but a moment and then you're broken It makes me think of the counsel Peter gives in 1 Peter 4.3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. The time's gone by for doing that. Living sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Again, scripture's kind of funny sometimes when I see what feels like a modern thing. In a historic passage, drinking parties doesn't that feel like a really modern thing? And yet, Scripture will tell us God gave us drink, alcohol, to enjoy to 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 enjoy to the glory of God. And yet, like so many other things, just like He gave us intimacy in marriage, we pervert it. We seek it out in in our own justified ways and become gluttons of it, and it becomes wicked and sinful. Turn a good thing into a wretched thing. Peter's emphasizing here, any amount of past sinning is enough wickedness. If you sinned a little before you were converted, it's enough. You didn't miss out on something that you should taste or try. If you sinned a lot, For many years, in many ways, hundreds and hundreds of times before you were converted, it's enough. You don't need to keep piling on because it was so normal. You can never sin so little that you say, I need a little more time to sin, just a little more. To imitate evil. The problem is, We've all said, or known someone who said, I I know I need to get right with God, and I know it. I need to make a break with sin and my own self-rule, but I'm just not quite ready. I just need a little more time. And whether they say it out loud or not, what they're really saying is I just need a little more time with my selfish sin, the things that my flesh wants, with what what it is to be the ruler of my own life, to be in charge. Peter is saying clearly, the time you spent sinning is enough. Be done with it. Put it away. Change your ways, your habits, your influences. You've been born again in Christ, and now you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. The time for sin and evil is to be done. The time for what is righteous and good and God-honoring is upon you. Praise God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 In Christ, we are possessors of a power to no longer sin. Is there still temptation to sin, knocking on our door, presenting itself all the time? Yes. Does our flesh still long for its fleshly over-desires? Yes. We're at war with it. But we have the power in Christ, the Holy Spirit, to help us choose what is righteous and glorify God instead of what is wicked and aims to only satisfy yourself. If we've been forgiven from all things that once guaranteed a guilty verdict on us and eternal punishment, why would we go back to those things again? We've put on a new jersey, I've said before. We play for a new team now. Why would I go back and put on that old, wretched, smelly jersey and play the old playbook when that's when not my team anymore? He's saying, put it away. Be done with it. Burn it. It's done. Some of you need to do serious business with us today. Some of you have not been convinced that the sin that you are continuing to flirt with or even participate in is enough. You're trying to hold Jesus up as the master of your life, but over here, you're also trying to hold on to some sinful vice. And they just simply cannot coexist. And I just say it again, it's enough. Repent and be done with it. Stop justifying it. Stop making excuses for it. Fight your sin. Drag it into the light and kill it. For some of you, this is the reason why you've kept devotion, real passionate devotion to God at arm's length. Because there's that party that says, I'll get to it later. I see other people doing it. But right now I just want what I want. Or you say, I, I know this particular person's influence is bad, but I just I don't want to lose their friendship. I don't want to lose this relationship, so I'm just going to continue to run with them. Or I've heard people deflect it in this way. They'll say, Oh, I have issues with the church. I have issues with organized religion. But what's really happening is they're not ready to really let Jesus be Lord of their lives to live for him completely, so they're deflecting to make it someone else's problem. And let me just say this, if you still love the things in creation more than the creator, you're more committed to them than to him, I plead with you to repent and confess that as sin and turn to trust your life to the creator, to stop being an idolater and live for the glory of the king. You don't know what tomorrow holds. To not do business with this is is to gamble with eternity. I'll also say, in love, love for you that the satisfaction you get from the sinful, worldly, created things, it pales in comparison to the satisfaction you will have in Christ, the creator, the redeemer, savior, and Lord. And here's the thing, you can only know that to be true once you're spiritually made alive. You can't just trust me. It's, it, scripture says it will be madness, folly to you until spiritually made alive, till you're reborn. And it is the sweetest testimony when I hear someone on the other side say, it's amazing. Amen? Christians in the room testify. To the Christian... To the one who truly belongs to God, I just ask you to be real with this. Are you living a false testimony in that you claim devotion, allegiance, and great great love for God, but you will not put away your sinful cling to what is wicked, worldly, and evil? Hear me in love. This can't be. It, it, It must, we must live according to who we are. And this is John's point. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. It reveals who we are, who we belong to. Now, Now, it doesn't say that you must live in perfection to belong to God. It is saying we do not practice sin. Instead, when we sin, we turn from it. We put it away, we put it off. Paul speaks of it this way, time and time again, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old self and its wicked ways. Put on the new. This is essentially what John's doing here in 3 John 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil is not seeing God. Paul says, put off, put on. John's saying, do not imitate. Imitate. So let's dive deeper into what we are to imitate. We are to imitate good. But if I'm going to imitate good, I've got to slow to consider what is good. And the most simple way to consider what is good is whatever honors God. Not how how you feel about it. Does it honor God or not? If it does, it's good. If it doesn't, it's not. Evil is what's against God, good is what honors God. God is good. He's the origin of all that is good. The Bible tells us that everything that is good comes from God. James and Paul say this. James says 1 in James 1:17, every good gift Think with me real quickly how many good gifts that includes. Every good gift And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.4, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Jesus helps us dive deeper into this reality when he says in Luke 18:19 no one is good but God alone. Jesus point here was to elevate the rich young ruler's perspective to see that people's best efforts and good deeds pale in comparison to the holy and good God. The rich young ruler had perceived Jesus to be a righteous man and doing good things so he called him good and And Jesus, who knows his heart, is just trying to say like, you've made an evaluation of me on the horizontal. That evaluation needs to change. You need to see that really only God is good. He wasn't also trying to get into the point that he is God, the son in flesh, but the point is still good. We have to see that goodness is God's nature. He is the measure of good. All that God is, Listen to this carefully. All that God is and does is perfectly good. And he alone is the final standard of good. William Perkins says it, one of my favorite quotes. We must not think that God does a thing because it's good And right, but rather the thing is good and right because God does it. How is that the case? Because God is the standard of what is good. King David sings of God's goodness, Psalm 105. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 106.1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Psalm 34, 8 through 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Is that true of you, Christian? It is, but do you see it as true of you? If your heart is constantly looking for and longing for the next thing, the next event, the next encounter, you're probably missing out on the good and perfect gifts of God. Ultimately found in himself, which you have in Christ. Therefore, you lack no good thing. Amen? Oh, how amazing life would be if I kept that in view and didn't set him down to then chase counterfeit idols. Thinking, oh, if I just had that, or if this relationship just went this way, or if this event would finally turn this way, then it would be good. What's an appropriate word I can find for this? What a bogus thing! What a sham. And it's our own doing. Yeah, I mean, the, the world's professional at pitching this to us and we even get caught up and getting each other excited about it that way. This is why one of the best things we do with each other is to constantly reorient each other to the gospel, to the goodness of God, to remind each other. Are you in the middle of something right now where you are still kind of holding out. I just need this event to happen, this thing to change, this conversation to happen, and then it's gonna be good. And so in the meantime, you're just a little miserable. You're just a little undone. You're just a little grumpy. You have all that you need to know and savor good in Christ. God is good, amen? Church, if we want to imitate good, then we need to imitate God. What does it mean to imitate? It means to copy or simulate another. The Greek word used here is metis. It's where we get our word mimic. Mimic. Be imitators, be mimics of good. God is good, therefore be imitators of God. Where have we heard that before? The entirety of Christian living can be summed up in that one statement. Be imitators of God. Paul's commission to the church in Ephesus, chapter 5, verse 1. Ephesians 5, 1. Be imitators of God. Many theologians, commentators call this the highest standard in the world. The sum of all duty. The ultimate ideal. We are to put away all that is decrepit and sinful and selfish and instead imitate the one who is holy and perfect and righteous. Righteous. Peter built on this very point in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. To, To be an imitator of God is to act like God who is holy, just, and loving. What is our ultimate bar for living? What is the ultimate standard? Word of truth, catechism, question one. Who is God? God is the almighty creator, sustainer, and ruler of everything. He is perfect and the standard by which all things are measured. The bar for living is the holy perfection of God. There's nothing and no one who is greater or more perfect. The standard for creator, created man is the creator himself. The reality is that many are sinfully and selfishly satisfied to sinfully live their lives avoiding the ideal holy standard of God. Even for many, sadly, self-professing Christians, they do not take seriously the life they've now been given that empowers them to imitate God and grow in righteousness. See with me, beloved, that when we were in our sin, we didn't care to honor him or be like him. But in Christ, we want to live for and honor God. We want to imitate God. One of the most dangerous places you can be in your Christian life is content with your current level of sanctification. That it's, it's, it's You're in a good place. We need to be content in life because we have Christ, because Christ is enough. This is true. But sanctification, growing in holiness, needs to be ongoing until we're done. And so I just ask you make that personal. Are you, if you're honest with yourself, content with your level of righteousness right now? Are you done learning how to grow to imitate God? If you are, you gotta see the the sin, the arrogance, the laziness in that. So let me ask you personally, what is your standard for living? What are your eyes on? Where is your target? Do you simply want to be a good person? And if so, by what standard do you decide that a good person is? You see the trap of that? Do you want to be like your father or mother or maybe someone else you look up to? If we belong to Christ, and our goal for living needs to be, imit- to be imitators of God, to be becoming more and more like Christ, which is why God prescribed the practice for us in this time in life of discipleship. This is the central focus of the New Covenant Church. We are to be all about discipleship. The core purpose of Christian discipleship is to be more and more like Christ. A disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another, a follower, a learner, an understudy. Applied to Christianity, a disciple is someone who is trained to be like Christ. It is the very thing Paul is emphasizing in Ephesians 4.13 that we are to grow to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Is what Paul clarifies in 1 Corinthians 11:1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Discipleship is not so you can look like your disciple maker, but so that you can imitate and follow and cherish their wisdom and counsel in a God-ordained practice and environment so you grow to better imitate God. Some Christians over the years have wrongly declared: discipleship is just not for me. And, and I love you enough to say you gotta see that that is an attitude that is prideful or lazy to say essentially what God has prescribed for me for these days of my life is not what I wanna do. I'm not interested in being coached and being pressed into greater layers of Christ-likeness. Maybe while leadership, discipleship, a deeper training for those that we're raising up to lead the church is not for you because it's not for everybody, every Christian is to be discipled. Why? Because every Christian is to imitate God. And God's design, the vehicle He's given to us to do this, is to not do that on our own, but to do it within the church. It's what Jesus modeled in His three years of ministry. I like to say that often he could have come taught a few amazing sermons everything we needed to hear and then in a few days died on the cross to to forgive us our sins and be be our justifier and, and raise again he didn't need to take 3 years why why do you take 3 years because he set down the model for what we the church were to do until he comes again and yet far too often we or other churches are, are putting that model away to do something else and not major on the very thing that we are to be doing. Ourselves, with others, those in our household and beyond. Let me talk to, quickly to my beloved family who is a little older. Maybe you've decided You've kind of served enough time, done enough growing. Therefore, you're beyond being discipled. It's like a little too late in the game for you. So you're finding ways to pull back and kind of retire, becoming more focused on those things, maybe selfish desires, maybe worldly ideals. Hear me say this in love. Older brothers and sisters, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. You are to imitate God. You will stagnate without God-given ways to grow you in righteousness to imitate God. You still have an opportunity to have an amazing impact on the work he's doing in this church and beyond. The same thing goes for you who are younger. Younger. It's different for you, though, because you probably are guilty of saying, I'll just get to some serious discipleship later. No, God has given you today, so today you should imitate God and grow in discipleship. I've had younger parents say, I just really need to focus on raising my kids. But raising your kids, how? When you haven't been discipled, what are you passing on to them? So let's be discipled now fervently and then have something really rich and gospel-centric and deep to, to disciple. And again, maybe you're going, yeah, but now it's getting too late. No, no, no. God decides when you're done. You stay on the field until he takes you home. Imitate God. The vehicle he's given us is discipleship within the, within the church how do we work to become imitators of God? We conform our minds to the word instead of to the world. Romans 12 two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We, the reality is we spend so much time in front of media, and worldly things instead of the word. We spend too much time in the world instead of God's word and and growing godly relationships. Psalm one, one and two, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And some of you, again, you might be thinking about, I don't really run with secular people like I used to. I don't sit with those people. I don't stand with them. But I would would ask how much media, worldly media are you consuming? Social media, news, internet blogs, streaming services. Getting caught up in all the politics of the moment to the point where it's all you do. It's all you can think about. That is to be caught up in the world to be worried, to be upset, to be undone. Can't believe how this is going. That's the opposite of deepening your roots into Christ alone and his word and the church and being disciple to be a disciple maker. We gotta conform our minds to his truths. Christian, hope in God. Don't hope in this world. If you hope in this world, you're gonna get let down. Let me just save you a lot of grief. It's gonna let you down. Not gonna go well. It's a lost world ruled by the deceived one. Hope in God. Trust in God. Don't trust in this world. Your trust needs to not be in your bank accounts and your retirement and your job security and your health. That's temporary means. Trust in God. Imitate God and not the evil of this world. I'm so thankful for the ways I see this happening in so many of you. There is righteous sanctification happening. There's humble learning happening, confession of sin, turning. Just when we think we're finally getting it, and then, oh, wow, I've got a lot of growing to do. Praise the Lord that we would stay in that place. We're learning his truths. We're being discipled to humbly seek counsel that helps me have a bigger vision of this thing that's before me. Why? So I can imitate God. So I can be like Christ. May this be the reputation of the members of Disciples Church. May each of us do our part to be imitators of God and therefore prove that we do indeed belong to God. Hear it again. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil is not seeing God. He continues in verse 12 by giving another example of a brother with a faithful testimony. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Remember, this third letter of John is written to a brother in Christ named Gaius. We see that in the opening, verses 1 through 8. John is grateful for Gaius' testimony of faithfulness to God, of love for the brethren. Then in verse 9 and 10 John refers to another brother named Diotrephes who is a wayward brother and getting caught up in his sin and is in need of accountability maybe even church discipline. And then here in verse 11 and 12 John implores Gaius to not imitate evil but to imitate good thereby proving you belong to God. To build on this, John gives another example of a faithful brother in one named Demetrius. So John's saying here that Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone. In other words, his testimony is one of faithfulness to God, of doing what is good. This is emboldened by John's words in the next part, and from the truth itself. This is a reference to the truth, the gospel So even his commitment to the truth of God, the truth of the gospel, testifies well of him. John then triples down in adding his own commendation of Demetrius by saying, we also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. In other words, we vouch for him as well. This is an upright man of God who honors the Lord by imitating what is good and not what is evil. We all need to have testimonies that look like Demetrius and Gaius and John and not like Diotrephus. Why? Why does it matter what people think of us or how they see us? Let's be super clear here. It doesn't matter for the sake of your own ego or fear of man. Sadly, that's often when we're thinking about what other people think of us, that's what our focus is on, is my ego, and really concerned about what they think of me because I'm finding value and identity in that, so I'm really worked up about it. Not that. That's a worry that plagues many of us, by which we are overly concerned what others think, because our identity and value comes from what others think, that is sinful. That's not what I'm talking about here. It matters what other people think of us and how they see us as it relates to the fact that we belong to God. We have claimed allegiance to him, devotion to him, empowerment by him. Whatever God has been doing in Noah Ocampo, he's now public and on record. What he does, what he says, how he acts matters because he's representing God. That's the thing that Jesus wanted to happen in public water baptism. Is this thing that's happened on the inside, God's work to save now is, is testified of. And it matters because I'm on record for Jesus. So it's not just me. You don't get to say, hey, hey I'm cool with this. No, 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 it, it don't work like that anymore, Christian you went on record to represent him. Is he cool with it? Then it's not for you, if it's not cool with Jesus. It's for him, we live for him, we follow him, we're devoted to him, that's it, that's it. You're not your own man, you're not your own woman. Anyone who says that they found a way to Christianity that doesn't include that is not reading this, right? Therefore, if we are acting a fool or in selfish or wicked ways, we dishonor him, we pervert the gospel about who Jesus is and what he is doing in and through his redeemed. It matters. Yes, it matters. Our role is to represent Christ, to testify the gospel of Jesus in all we do and say, this is why God has us here. It's why he gave us today, why he might give us tomorrow. Our mission, our purpose with the days God gives us under the sun – to make much of his gospel. May we truly be diligent to imitate God, church, to imitate good by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, by the accountability of the brethren who loves us and walking with us and helping us grow, and for the eternal glory of God. Amen? Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this passage, this, these two verses that are such a blessing to unpack and, and see their application given the stress of the testimonies, the, the contradictive testimonies we see in these brothers in the church in that day. Obviously still today this applies and in your perfection you're blessing us to be equipped with it. I pray that we're not only given it, we're not only equipped with it, but we wield it, we act on it. We're not hearers only, but doers of the word. That where there's need for confession of sin and repentance, that we would do that. And and we would be thankful that we want to do it. We want to pursue righteousness. That want in us is the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. And so who we need to forgive, Lord, help us to forgive. And, and where, what we need to put away, Lord, help us to put away. And what we need to practice and cling to and invite in and participate in, let us do that for your glory. That others would, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, see our good works and glorify you. It praise you, Lord, for these brothers. It praise you for this testimony that has blessed us. Now let us wield these things in this house, in this city, in this time, under the nations, for your glory. All glory be to Christ. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen.